Hi, and welcome to Com Church Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk you're about to hear. Amen. Amen. Praise you, Lord. You are such a good father. You are our father who is in heaven. We hallow your name. Your kingdom now come. Your will be done as it already is in heaven. Let it be here in Dunstable. Let it be here right now in our hearts. Help us to forgive as we are forgiven. Yours is the glory, Lord. Amen. Wow. Uh. <laughs> Where can I go from your presence? It's not just two things we can do. We can fight. We can resist. We can go to the toilet. We can run away in our thinking, in our minds. But where can we go? Because he is already there. You can't run from God. You can try and hide, but you can't run from God. Wow. Well, I've got notes. <laughs> uh, but there are things that you said this morning, Helena. Wow. Okay, let's just see what happens, shall we? What's the time? Goodness me, it's a miracle. Excellent. So for those of you who are just arriving, welcome. <laughs> So what I'm going to do, in, this is the plan. This was previously the plan before nine o'clock this morning. The plan is to look at, carry on the series of looking at, or my little series anyway, looking at good questions. Okay, a good question. So last time, if you, if you missed it, what I was basically talking about is that God asks the best questions. Okay? Uh, sometimes we think that God just makes statements. You shall not. But actually, what really challenges me are the questions, because they're still real. And it's as though, as we have found this morning, that the Holy Spirit is asking those questions again and again. And I asked a question last time, what's the first question in the Bible? And you all went, ah, and you got it wrong, because the first question was the worst ever question. It's the question that Satan asks, which is, did God really say that? Did God really say that? That reveals his heart, it reveals his ministry and uh, and actually it reveals kind of the ministry that is all that is against Christ which is is did God really say that the best question comes straight after that when God reveals his heart which is Adam where are you that is the God that seeks us out he's always there he's always seeking us out his heart the whole of scripture is about him seeking us he has longed and desired us 
And we can hide in the bushes because we suddenly realise, oh, I'm naked. But he will always ask us, where are you? And then I talked about, oh, there's lots of questions in, in God Asks. And uh, if we could kind of go on to the plan, I'm going to have one more question that is very unique right at the end. But uh, I did look at the questions Jesus asks. And there are 300 recorded questions in the Gospels. Some of those are repeats as they re- put it in different ways, the different writers. But at least 100 questions, you could say, that Jesus asks of people. He asks them of the disciples, which we're going to look at. He asks them of the uh, uncommitted. He asks of, of his enemies. In fact, his enemies are flawed more by his questions than by his statements. And uh, we're going to uh, have a little look at that. Can we... I have some slides. That's a good idea. So, good question series. Oh, okay, you're going to put it that way. You're going to straight in with that one. That's good. Blank check. Blank check. We're going to look at blank check. Oh, you've got one here. I'm going to come to that perhaps in a moment. But blank check. Just a little thought. The word reconciliation, by the way, is, isn't it an accountancy term? Any accountants here? Uh, nobody's going to admit to it. Nobody wants to do the church accounts. <laughs> okay. But reconciliation is adding up the figures. I had an experience actually on Friday night. I'm supposed to finish at about quarter past six, closing up shop. And there was a young lady who was the first time she was doing the accounts of the shop. She was doing the till and I was cleaning the floors. And, and that was what I do. And she, she went upstairs. It was supposed to be a five minute job. 45 minutes later, she could not reconcile the amount in the till with how much it should have been. There was a missing bit, okay? A missing bit. And uh, I just, we'll see where that goes a little later, because sometimes we think, oh, reconciliation is about this, about that, but at the end of the day, it is what is on the account that does not add up, which we are still holding over. Because that poor young lady, In the end, after 45 minutes of struggling with it, basically just had to, well, stick it where it goes and uh, leave it to someone else to sort out the following morning. Reconciliation did not happen on that night. And I bet she didn't sleep. (laughs) So, the question that was asked last time, can you put the next one up? Who do you say that I am? That was Jesus' question last time, and hopefully you've answered that for yourself. If you haven't, that's a good starting place. Who do you say Jesus is? All right? But we're going to move the story on, and we're going to look at Mark uh, chapter 10. And um, I don't know, I've been focused in Mark over these last last months, one way or another, on and off. And he kind of puts the questions succinctly. He records Jesus' questions. He's, Mark is the kind of guy, because Mark is actually, he wrote this gospel probably with the um, help of Peter. Peter uh, worked with Mark later on. You'd find him in the book of Acts and so on and so forth. So Mark is recording some of the things that Peter says. And you get Peter's heart coming out in some of the stuff, all right? And the way he says it. Now, <laughs> If you know the situation, Jesus had 12 disciples that were kind of key. There were 70 and there were others, but there were 12. And in those 12, there were three. Peter was one of those three. There were a couple of others. They were called James and John, all right? 
Now, bear in mind that Peter is right, he's kind of inspired some of this little passage this morning. You might get an inspiration of what, what is going on here. Now, <clears throat> Jesus is basically, he's gone out. He's tried to get away from the crowds. He's gone off into the wilderness. He's gone, he's gone over into the Gentile territory. And all the, all the people have found him. And he's done miracles. And we talked about the feeding of, the, of, the, of both the Jewish people group and the, the mainly Gentile group and now he's on his way back and he's got his, he's got his eyes fixed on getting to Jerusalem and he's taking a route, fairly direct route back to Jerusalem. On his way back he, he, he teaches the disciples, he gives some very accurate warnings about what is about to happen and he warns them that he is going to be essentially, he almost, he he will be crucified. Certainly he will be given over. He will be murdered. He will be spat on. People will treat him that way. And that is what he's going to. The disciples, knowing what's happening in their own minds, seeing what's happening, huge crowds are going with them. They're going along this road. They're going towards Jericho. They're going through Jericho. And then they've got only about 15 more miles to go. But then it's straight up because it's, it's a couple of thousand feet above. Jericho's in the dip. Jerusalem's on the top and uh, today is Palm Sunday and we remember when he goes into Jerusalem but just before that we get this weird little situation they're traveling along and uh, it says then reading for verse 35 then James and John the sons of Zebedee I always want to say boing at that point but (laughs) came to him teacher they said we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, well, uh, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. You you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Remember, Jesus always speaks the truth, so we can gather they don't. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup that I drink, yeah, and you will be baptised with the baptism I am baptised with, but to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, or actually down on them, would be a better translation. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. Awesome verse next. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay. Wow. What a story. Now, <laughs> I, this little question... It's, it, this story is also repeated in the book of Matthew. You can look at both passages and you see different perspectives. In Matthew, Matthew points out it's mum. It's the mum of James and John that turns up, a lady called Salome. And uh, she turned up and she asked the question. 
She said, Jesus, I want you to give the best places to my sons, okay? We learn here in Mark, Mark doesn't mention mum. Peter doesn't mention to Mark about mum. He mentions about James and John, okay? And they're asking him a question. Now, they come to Jesus, well, not a question, they come with a statement. We want you to do whatever we ask. I don't know if you've heard children. Sometimes, uh, uh, I'm not speaking of direct experience, of course, with my sons, but sometimes when the son knows that they won't get what they want from dad, <clears throat> maybe they will go to mum. And they go, oh, your hair's so nice today, mum. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm going to need something today. Can you just, you know, give me what I need today? especially when they're not sure they're going to get what they want. James and John, what they were basically asking for is a blank check. Okay? Here's our blank check. Woo! I quite like that one on the back there, that one better. I like the Bank of Jerusalem more. That was quite good, isn't it? In dollars? Goodness me. Okay. <clears throat> I know who did these slides. Okay. It's an English check. Why is this an English check? Because, actually, I think, do we bank at Lloyd's? don't know. This is a reusable prop, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not going to fill it in today because you will see it soon. Hmm. A blank check. What they were asking for was, give us whatever we want. Okay. And... Um, Jesus is not stupid. <laughs> Have you worked that one out? Jesus is not stupid. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows what's in our minds. And he needs them. He doesn't need an answer to his question for himself. He needs them to ask the actual question. So he says to them, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Why would they even think they could ask Jesus for a blank check? Because they were in the top three? Who's not in this conversation? Who finds out about it later? Who's writing this little story down? Uh-huh. Peter. James and John, they wanted to be top dogs. They'd worked. All credit for them, they realized that Jesus was going into glory. They knew he was going to be king. They he was going to rule. They hadn't got a clue about the cross, but they knew that he was going to be in charge. What do they want? They want to be left and right. They want to be number, numbers two and three. They want to be the prime minister and the executor of the treasury. And all these other disciples, the, the other 11, whatever, can't do my maths, okay? The others, particularly Peter, he's down there. He's under layer three, okay? Maybe four, and then under that, there's going to be, well, it's going to be all the Romans, because all the Romans are going to be kicked out. And then it's going to be the rest of the world. Jesus is going to be at the top. Yes. But we're going to be numbers one, we're going to be two and three. Right-hand men. Why do they think that? Maybe it's because they were actually related to Jesus. Did you realize that? Salome? Salome is actually the sister of Mary, the mother of God. Did you know that, James and John? Thunder, thunder. Cousins of Jesus. 
we got a little bit pushing here. Did you know my son is actually a worship pastor in this church? You know, everything he knows. It used to be they go, oh, you're the son of, you're the son of uh, Scott, aren't you? The pastor. Now it's like, are you, this, are you the dad of the worship? And it's like, yeah. James and John wanted position. Because with position in their thinking came power. Came influence. To make the decisions that have to be made. You get to the top, what you do, you make sure that they don't crawl up above you. Jesus understood this. There is a direct clash of kingdoms in these questions. And, you know, the question is still there for us today. Maybe they were remembering what Jesus said. John 15.7, have we got a slide of that one? Maybe. If, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. They'd heard that, okay? They'd forgotten the ifs and buts. If you are of Jesus' kingdom and his words remain in you, and you are in him, you can ask the whatever. But what were they asking from? They weren't asking from kingdom, they were asking from the empire. Star Wars fans. Dun, 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 dun. We know what happens with the empire. They build death stars, okay? These are the same disciples who said, these guys have been preaching against you. We think you should nuke them with fire on that town. Yeah? Is that death star theology? I think it is. They thought that Jesus was going to replace the emperor of Rome. And they were going to be the new senate. But it's not about empire, it's about kingdom. And Jesus starts to teach them. He goes, you don't know what you're asking. Now, if they'd been good disciples, they would have asked another question. Tell us what we're asking. But they didn't. They do what we do as Christians. They go, oh, yeah, sure, we know what it is. Oh, yeah, sure, we know, Jesus. They come back and they go, we want you to do what you want for us. What we want you to do for us. When he says, what are you really asking? They go left and right. And he goes, you don't know what you're asking. They go, um, yes, we do. Yes, we do. He said, do you know about baptism and cups? Baptism and cups, what on earth is going on here? I don't understand that. But we'll just say yes to him and then he'll do what we want. Jesus said, you know, you don't know what you're asking. And then they go, oh, yeah, 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 we do. And he goes, yeah, sure. This is the closest I found in Scripture at the moment. It's Jesus in sarcasm. Okay? Uh, <laughs> the cup, what does it mean to drink the cup? Do you, do you understand what it means to drink Jesus' cup? In the scriptures, I haven't got a chance to go through it all, but in, uh, essentially what it means is, is to down in one. Chug, 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 chug. Drink the cup that is given to you fully, completely to its dregs, both the positive and the negative in scripture. 
I have a specific verse that's very important to me. It's in Psalm 16. It talks about the cup that is given to you. It's a cup of ministry. It is something that was very important to my life to know that God has given me a cup of ministry. But Jesus had a cup of ministry too, and he drank it to its very dregs. Isaiah talks about the cup of the coming wrath of God, that Israel will drink its full dregs back. Chug, chug, chug. Now, these disciples, are they prepared to drink the cup that's put in front of them? We had a bit of spare time the other day uh, at my place of employment, and there was like leftover stuff which has got to be thrown away. So we thought, let's have an experiment. We'll just put some of this stuff in together. We'll blend it in with some ice, and we'll see what it was like. And it was like, <laughs> Beata was with me all the time, and she was like, are you going to drink it? I was like, yeah. <laughs> chug, chug, chug. Ah, oh, dear. I can't say anything negative about the particular company I work for or the ingredients that are there, but maybe I shouldn't have chugged that whole cup back. Jesus talked about his cup. And the cup that he was going to drink. He talked about service to the point of death that he came to give everything let's read that bit again Mark 10 45 that little bit we just read For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Even the Son of... Why do you say even? Son of Man in the the Scripture is which Jesus put himself to, is the one who is glorious, who is coming. He is the most glorious one. So even the most glorious one is becoming a slave for all. He is the one who's giving everything up. Here's a quote from a Mr. Martin Luther King Jr. And he said this, Everyone can be great because everyone can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to, be your, uh, to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love. Jesus says you've got to be able to serve. And the one that really will have the highest place is the one who becomes the slave of all. Now that's totally counter to our... Because we're empire. We're builders of empires. That's what we're taught. Build an empire. Get ahead. Work hard at the gym and then you'll have a body like mine. And you'll be able to go, ha, to all of those who go to Weight Watchers and Slimmer's World. People crawl on their knees to the top. Now, they squash people on the way up usually. And when you get to the top, you make sure nobody else crawls up behind. And that's what the disciples had. Their rulership was the empire. And they were going to replace one emperor with another. Jesus has a kingdom where a king who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who will come in the name of the Lord and who will bring salvation, comes riding on a donkey, an ass. 
I wonder how many times I have to be an ass to actually carry Jesus into situations. You know, they were asking for this here blank check. How much is this worth to you? If I gave you a blank check from the Scott and Fliss car bank, not a lot. You, you know, I could sign it. <laughs> you ended up paying me for the check, I tell you. What if this was signed by Julian Richards? Probably about the same, I suppose. What if it was signed by the Queen? What if it was signed by the king of the queen of kings? What would you write on it? Let's talk about money for a minute. We're going to go there this morning. Think about your debts. Oh, I don't have any debts. Do you have a house? Do you have a mortgage? Do you have plans for the future? How much would you have to put on this? to make sure that it was all covered. Some of us love a blank check. That's why the lottery is such a wonderful thing. That was sarcasm, sorry. Uh, it's the dream of the bank check. Would it be enough? Would 50,000 pounds be enough? Would half a million be enough? Would it have a double rollover, quadruple rollover? Would it be enough? How many of those wonderful lottery winners are living free in peace without debt right now? Because what needs to go on this is not position, it's not power, it's not money, it's mercy. Because we have mercy. We need to have mercy. We need it. Oh. I'm going to give you an illustration in a moment for this time on that. It's current for me. So he makes this point to his disciples and he talks about the difference between empire and kingdom and they really still don't have it. They haven't got it. Don't blame James and Don. The fact that the disciples were actually disgruntled shows that they were hoping to get the question in before them. They wanted to be first and second place. They all had the same problem. That's why Jesus gently tells them about the difference between those that are in the kingdom and those that are in the empire. But then there's this little story which, which sums it, which just hammers it home because then they get to Jericho and uh, there is... There is at least one person. Peter tells Mark and Mark tells us it's this one person and his name is Bart. Okay, do we have a picture? It's Bart. Uh, yeah, no, perhaps not that picture. Bart, yes, that's Bart, son of Timus. Okay, or actually Bar, son of Timus, but I thought Bart was funnier. Well, in my head anyway. Um, Bar, Timus means blind, 
blind man. So what we, and it also means son of a blind man. So what we've got is a blind man who is the son of a blind man. That's his name. You imagine being called, okay, you are called son, blind son of a blind dad. There's a history of blindness in this poor man's family. He is a beggar at the side of the road. He has his place. Um, he has his authority to beg at the side of a major city by the cloak that he is wearing. It identifies him as a beggar who is allowed to ask for alms on the way into the city. He has his place. He is led there. He's guided there. All his days are spent there. And then a crowd comes up through because the place is already busy anyway. Everybody's going to the Passover. So you've got to go through Jericho pretty much up through to Jerusalem. So there's crowds, 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 crowds. It's a great day. He's earning money, no doubt. He's about Jesus. The same Jesus that breezed through this place a little while back. And what does he say? He says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. In fact, he says it really loudly, but I won't do it through the speaker system. He cries out above the crowd. And the crowd is not happy with him because they want to get Jesus through the city. He's doing these amazing things. He's on his way. He's going to see the empire. We're going to see the empire crushed. The king of kings is coming. And there is some little oik who is a beggar, who is blind, asking for mercy. We don't do mercy. We're the empire. We give justice. Roman justice was absolutely, you could go take it to the bank. Roman justice was crucifixion. And then you don't get many criminals anymore. We don't do mercy. And this guy wants mercy. And the other thing... He's using, the, he's using the name Son of David. Why don't they like that? Because it's politically incendiary. The religious leaders knew that the Son of David is the king. You don't have kings in an empire. You have an emperor. The people that were against Jesus knew that he was about to cause a powder keg of problems. A few years ago, in that, in that same region... Somebody had done the same thing. He had set himself up as a king of Jews. Do you know what happened? Hundreds and hundreds of people were crucified along the roads by the then Roman governor. This could be the end of the Jewish nation, they thought, if we cause this kind of problem. Dear old Pilate was on record as saying, if this happens again, I won't be, I won't be uh, responsible for the bloodbath. So there's an oik saying, son of David, rightful king, have mercy on me, your subject. Jesus has got this heavy load upon him. He's going to the cross. He knows that they're going to spit on him. He knows they're going to crucify him. He knows he's got, before the crucifixion, there will come the ripping of flesh from his bones as he's beaten with beyond the inch of death. He knows this that even his disciples will fail him and run away. They'll run off naked because some, one of them is going to lose his cloak in the, in the struggle. He's still going there. And do you know something? He still hears a cry for mercy. He still has compassion. And so he hears, but. 
And he could have gone over. Do you know what he did? He wanted to minister to the crowd as well. Sometimes when somebody comes in, there's a need in, in a community. The community just wants to shut that need down and just get on with the business of work. Get on the business of being church. Jesus does something. He involves the crowd in the man's need. Go, go and get him. And so they kind of all act a bit cheerful and kind of, come on, get on your feet. Jesus wants you to come. And, uh, and then... I just get this interplay where Jesus is looking with compassion at this man who, who, who says again, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus looks at him, and then I think he looks the disciples in the eyes, and he asks exactly the same question. What do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? And the disciples had given all the wrong answers, as many senior, mature Christians might do. Get the wrong idea. This one who was prepared said, I, I just want to see. Implied, I want to see you. You know, mercy is the biggest blank check. It's not a whatever. It's just saying, I need. I need mercy. We don't know why this man was blind. It doesn't tell us in Scripture. It just says he was the, he was the son of a blind man. But I reckon all his life he'd been told, you're a sinner. You're the son of a sinner. You're judged. He knows this. He just needs mercy. And he goes to the one person that can give it to him, the king, the rightful king. And he asks for mercy. And do you know what? He asks for the one thing that is already on the bank check of heaven. Jesus' ministry is mercy. And it is seeing him. That's why he came, to seek and to save the lost. This man had not only recognized him as the rightful king, he'd left behind his cloak his only means of maintaining any kind of living. He'd left behind his spot. There's probably somebody else in the crowd now that's sitting in his spot. Probably thought, oh, this is a nice coat. I'm now a beggar. I can ask this big crowd for money. He's got nowhere to go back to. He's in front of Jesus and he says, I want to see In his reconciliation, he has only one thing in mind. I need to see you. And Jesus says, do you know what? Your faith has saved you. It says healed. The word is sozo. It means healed, saved, whole. This man wasn't just physically able to see. He saw Jesus and he made him his Lord because then he followed him. Then you've got the two answers. You've got empire thinking, you've got kingdom thinking. Empire is, I need, you give me whatever, Lord. I've done this great thing. I've made you my, my saviour. Now you give me whatever. You give me the thing I want. And then you have someone who says, I need to see you. Which one was healed? Which one did Jesus highlight So what do you want? 
What do you need? Maybe the two are not the same. I want to go one other place. Final question. But I want to just bring a personal illustration of this. And I did ask the Lord and said, are you really saying that? Yesterday was a really bad day for me. It was a family day. See, I have family, and then I have family. We went to Norwich yesterday, and my uh, uncle, it was his and his wife, uh, Auntie Pam, it was their 50th wedding anniversary, and we had to go to this very dodgy club to have this wonderful spread of uh, sausage rolls and things, and this amazing club singer, uh, entrepreneur person, telling extremely unhelpful jokes about organs and things. Um, and you see, the thing you need to know is that my dad, or my stepfather, is Tony, and his brother, Mervyn, who's his big day, don't get on. They hurt one another a while back. And he wasn't really invited. And when he turned up, my dad, he wasn't welcomed <laughs> by any means. And I, I really struggled for lots and lots of different reasons I can't go into. But I really wanted to see them reconcile together. And they almost were until things went, took a particularly bad turn. I told myself this morning, after getting in at half past two and getting up at eight, that I really needed to focus on this message. And I was going to put to this afternoon to deal with the fact that my dad said to me that I don't keep him in the loop and he feels so left out. And I was hurt by that. And I couldn't deal with that and prepare and bring this message. Do you know what the Lord does? He sneaks it into communion. Where can I go from your presence? Certainly not in the communion time. You see, there's still stuff I have to get reconciled. Because on this check, he put all my sin, all my failure. I needed mercy. So why would I withhold mercy to anyone else? That is still an unbalanced ledger. I need to deal with that. I have, I'm dealing with it and will deal with it. But while there is that unbalanced ledger, how can I receive mercy? How can I receive the blank check that God longs to pay? You know, he's not going to write off my financial debt. He might do. But what I need is mercy in my time of need. I'm going to Africa 
in a, in a week's time. And I can tell you, I've done it 12 times. Every single, every single time in the week before, I have had tested in my weakness. And it's a different weakness every time, so you can guess about those. But I've told you one of them. One is the unreconciled nature with my father. Not my heavenly father, my earthly father. And I'm going to be talking when I'm in Africa about being reconciled to my heavenly father. So what do I get tested on? I feel it was necessary to take that moment to show you that we continue to be reconciled and that we need to have a ministry of reconciliation. I want to land it for you here. The last question is just the most unique question ever. I've said that God asks great questions. Jesus asks great questions. What happens when Jesus asks God a question? This is to prepare you for next week. If you go with me uh, just to Mark, and uh, we're going to take you to the cross. Uh, Just this one. He said, can you drink the cup that I will drink? He said, can you undergo the baptism I'm about to undergo? The cup is taken actively. The baptism is passive obedience of the pain and the agony that he went through on the cross. But Jesus was asked to give the left and right place to his disciples. And he said, well, that's already decided. And you could say, well, that's in heaven, that one day when he comes into his glory, there is somebody maybe in heaven that's going to get his left and right. Okay? I don't think that was on Jesus' mind. I think the cross was on Jesus' mind. And I want to read you the left and right place. In Mark chapter 15, he says, A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by. and Well, they forced him to tarry the cross. They brought Jesus to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. That was a mild sedative. But he did not take it. I'll take the paracetamol, Lord. But he did not take it. And they crucified him. That's all the Bible says. I'm not going to go in there. But you need to realize what that means. Dividing up his clothes and they cast lots for each one and what each one would get. And it was a third hour. That's about, well, nine o'clock in the morning. And they crucified him and a written notice was, the king of the Jews. They crucified two robbers, villains, murderers, whatever you want to call them. One on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and board in in three days, you come down from that cross and save yourself. And in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they mocked him. He saved others, he can't save himself. Let this so-called Christ, this King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. 
Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. The ones on the left and the right heaped insults on him. Not in Mark. Read elsewhere. Two very different situations. One of them, even as Jesus is dying as a ransom for everyone, he sees one at the last moment who will receive him. And so he shows mercy to him and offers him paradise even as he is dying. Left and right, James and John, are you prepared to hang with me? Oh, yes, sir, yes, yes. Well, yes, you will. James, you will be crucified. John, you will be exiled and everyone will be left. You will undergo the baptism. But the left and right, that's saved. The sixth hour of darkness came, so that's about 12, for three hours, so to three in the afternoon. Nobody knows what happened. Nothing is said. But for three hours, the earth is black. The Bible hints at it, and it says, he didn't just carry our sin. He became sin. The one who was with Jesus, Jesus was with the Father forever, eternally. Three hours, he becomes that which cannot be in the presence of a holy God. At the end of that time, just as the lambs are being slaughtered for Passover in the temple, Mark records this. Eloi, Eloi, Lamatsani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We find out what Jesus has been thinking about for three hours of agony and separation. He's been reciting to himself the very word of God, Psalm 22. Why have you forsaken me? Why is my groaning been so far away? Why are my bones sticking out? Why is the roof of my mouth? Why is it like that? He cries out, not Father, but my God. This is the mystery, the question. How could the Son, who is God, ask the Father, who is God, why have you forsaken me? With a loud cry, which elsewhere is, is recorded as, it is finished. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We're talking about a 60-foot-high curtain between one inch and four inches thick that took 800 priests to get down, wash and clean and put back up. It is ripped in two from top to bottom. This curtain 
is the only thing barring you from the holy of holies. It is finished. Rip. This is the answer. Why have you forsaken me? So that Scott would never be forsaken again. Whatever earthly father or mother or anybody else that he had, you, my father, will never forsake me. I am your son, whom you love. With me, weirdly, you are well pleased. I said that to Jesus. Jesus said, it's the same love that the Father has for me, he has for you. How? Because of a blank check that Jesus paid. I will go anywhere. I will take that cup. If you could, you'd take it away. But Lord, it is needed. It is needed for Scott. It is needed for Julian. I don't know how. All of my sin, all of my needs for mercy, before I was born, before, I was a, before my father's 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 father was born, he wrote that check and signed it in his blood. A blank check that is received by faith in the mercy and the goodness of God. I don't get what I deserve. In fact, better than that, than mercy is grace that I get that which I do not deserve, which is eternal life. So this morning, I reckon because he pushed me to become a bit of an ass for you this morning, that Jesus is coming directly to you and pointing out that area where you need reconciliation. Things just don't add up in your life. You can call yourself a Christian, but you haven't added up the mercy. You haven't added up the cost what he paid for you, because you still have an account. Some of you have books dating back 10, 50 years. Those are the secret accounts that need to be reconciled this morning. If that's you, sort it. Ask for prayer or pray yourself and start sorting it out. Recognize that that check pays for you, so you are already right with others. And if you're here and you really haven't got a clue, but this Jesus, he is an amazing person. Maybe this morning you just need to realize for you, this check is written for you. This is your check. Actually, this is pretty useless as a piece of cardboard. You know, it could have a signature on it. It could have everything on it. But if you're like me, you probably put it in your pocket and then put your trousers in the wash and then boom, that's gone. Yeah? You need to cash it. You need to take it to the bank and say, yes, I am this person. This is me. Jesus died for me. I need grace and mercy in my time of need. You don't know whether you're going to put your trousers in the wash tonight. Do it now. Sort it out. Sort it out now and know that Christ died for you. Let's stand together for a moment, please. Wow.
Father, you have caused us to think about through communion, reconciliation. And Lord, it is painful when the word of God cuts us at where we really need to be sliced. I have this image, Father, of cancer growth in the bodies that need to be just, the cancer needs to be taken out. Father, if that's an actual healing, then I pray you would release it right now. See it on lungs, actually. But Father, I just pray that that cancer growth would be taken out right now. And Father, I have a feeling it's also about this unreconciled thing with someone. It needs to be cut out. Father, that it need no longer be on the the column of, of debt that we are keeping on other people. Father, set us free right now. Father, it is impossible to receive mercy if we will not give mercy. Our hands are full of the other stuff, the bitterness of the entitlement of the longing for position over. Father, we pray that you would help us right now to release that ambition, that that record of wrongs, Lord, that you would help us not to keep that record any longer. And where it relies on us, that we would simply release that debt. Write it off. A year of jubilee. No more debt. Father, no more debt in our lives because you've paid everything for us. We are owed nothing. We owe everything to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to get in touch, visit our website at www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.